Welcome to The Prism Effect, a podcast with me, Larry Knoll, lead pastor of The Light in Kent. Just as prisms break light up into its spectral colors, I hope to help you discover the scripture's meaning for your life. We're doing a series on the church. So I'm talking about you, talking about us. We're calling it Church 3.0. And I've been talking to a lot of people outside of the church about this. Maybe they're possibly, um, I hope this thing holds up, you know, to my preaching today. If it, if it falls down, you'll know that, um, yeah, maybe it's time for a new one. I like this. This has been around here for a long time. But if it falls apart, we'll know. Uh, been talking to people a lot about this, though, and I tend to do that. If you work with me, you'll get to hear, you know, like my pre-sermon, just in conversations around around the office, you know, we have a lot of Christians that work where I do, and, um, you know, just, I'm not, I don't go, hey, this is what I'm preaching on, this is what I'm speaking on, but in our conversations, because this is on my mind a lot, the week of, the week before I'm speaking about it, because of that, I don't know what I got going here, but it's not good, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to I'm not try to act like nothing's wrong. I'm going to act like something's really messed up here and fix it. Is that okay with you? Okay, good. Now I feel better. I think I feel better. Do I look better, Alex? No, he said, no, there's no help for this man. I appreciate your honesty, though. He'll never lie to you, even when he should. All right, so. No, I'm just kidding. So we talked, you know, we've been talking about this. Um, a lot because there was the original church, which was the apostles. And when Jesus left this planet, when he left after his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead, and then his ascension, these are all these gospel words that we use. When he went to heaven, you know, he said, you're going to power of God's going to come upon you, the Holy Spirit, if you go and wait in Jerusalem. And when that happens, you'll do greater things than I will do. You know, you're going to take this message throughout the entire world because they need it. That was the original intent of Jesus Christ's coming was to save the world, save them from their sins, from who we are. And so the church began, and that was church 1.0, and it was a different type of church than what you would even imagine. It's hard to even imagine it, but it was mostly house churches. Now, there was, there were the um, Jewish Christians, if you will, those who were followers of Christ, who were Jews, and they still worshipped in the, you know, they went to synagogue, and they were taught, and they worshipped. But there was this little different thing about them, you know, that kind of upset the other Jews. So... They had these, I guess, an underground church because the church was cutered at the time, not only by the Romans who felt like this was a political action group, if you will, and so they were suspicious of them, and there were rumors that they were trying to overthrow the government because they were following a different king, Jesus, 
which upset Caesar quite a bit. All right. But there was also the Orthodox or the original Jewish believers who believed in God but didn't believe in Jesus. And this little different thing, they felt these people were blasphemous and everything else so they were persecuting they were persecuting the jews that were followers of christ so that was church 1.0 and they were forced to have church wherever out in the park you know uh, out in the field somewhere um, in a person's home because it wasn't really safe they they were they could be persecuted at any time and i mean you know really persecuted so that was Church 1.0, the original. And that went on for some time until the church went through some changes. And really, it all started with the Roman Empire, where the very empire that was part of the persecution of Christians said, we're going to make this the official religion. Isn't that funny? We hate them. Now we love them. Okay. We don't want it. Now we embrace it. And that God does miraculous things. And that's how you have the Roman Catholic Church today. It's still in Rome. And that's basically how that began. But that wasn't the only church. There were Protestant churches that weren't part of the Roman Catholic Church that you know, there's a lot of stories with that, and a lot of centuries went by. So that's Church Point 2.0, because that's what we're used to. We are used to attending and going to a church that's organized pretty much the way it was for all, for centuries now. And although it might have become a little bit mo more modern, music might have changed, but the governments of churches, the, the setups, the denominations might have morphed and Especially in the uh, Protestants, there's a lot of different Protestant religions, okay, or denominations, I should say. But basically, that's Church 2.0, just glossing over. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in there. So what's wrong with Church 2.0? Why can't we just be, why can't we keep that version? Why do we have to update? Why do we have to upgrade? I hate upgrades. Nothing works the same. You ever ever know that? Upgrade is like a promise of things that are going to be better, and then it's like there's pain involved every time. It's like, oh, oh, my passwords are gone now. Oh, this and that, you know, and why did they move this? You know, one of the worst things was when I upgraded Windows and the clipping tool disappeared. I'm like, what insane person in Seattle, Washington, or wherever they are hiding, at Microsoft, who said we should move that and get rid of it because nobody uses it? Are you kidding me? I use that all the time. And that's what really is involved in the change of the church right now is things are moving. Things are changing. And for a lot of people, it doesn't feel good because you could, you could sleepwalk through most church services. Maybe that was the problem. Okay, you because you knew where everything was. You knew how everything was going to feel and be, and and not just church services, but the way churches were set up and organized. Whether you went to a Baptist, Presbyterian, um, you know, as long as you were in some Protestant church, basically the governments were the same. 
even the, the um, you know, statement of beliefs, their doctrines, they were a little bit different here and there, but basically the same things that they believe and teach. So you could just kind of move, and people have done that, move around. But Church 3.0 is saying this, what has been great for hundreds of years is not going to get us until the end because the world is changing, people are changing, and if you, I've often said, the church generally, most churches, when the 1950s roll around, they'll be ready for them because they have refused to change. They've refused to change a lot of things and be missional in their thinking. So Church 3.0 is about being missionaries in our own neighborhoods, in our cities. And missionaries do not go to another country and continue to act like they're in America. I, I used to make a lot of trips to South America in my drug running days. No, I'm kidding. I was, I was in uh, doing a lot of missions trips. Because when I say that, people go, what did you do? You know, and I go, wouldn't you like to know? And I just let them think about that, you know. But I used to do a lot of missions trips with my church. And going to South America, I noticed something that the culture was a little bit different. And I could either just force them to deal with the USA or I could say, oh, OK, that's what's proper here. That's what's not. That's what's allowed. That's taboo here. Okay, even the way that we dressed and the way that we presented ourselves, we wanted to do it in a way that wasn't offensive and that we would be accepted. The deeds that we were doing and the words that we were saying would be more accepted. Why don't we do that in America? Why do we say, well, honey, it's church. And when you come to church, you ought to act like this and show up when we have. church. You know, why aren't we going? When would this work for people? In our cities, when would this work? So I could go down that road a lot. OK, but I think you understand what I'm trying. The point I'm trying to make is we want to be a missional church here. And we've been trying to do that for about nine years, going on 10. You realize it's been that long. So Church 3.0 is about rethinking the mission of the local church. Are we here just to exist for Christians? Or are we here to open our hearts and our doors wide open to who Christ died for? And that's everybody. And we're not in Cleveland and we're not in Columbus. And we're not in Atlanta. We're here in Kent, Ohio. And we have always tried to say, what are the people in Kent and the surrounding area? What do they need? What are they like? And how can we reach them? And there's going to be some changes coming to this church. And the board and I, we just talked about that this week. And we're going to get, you know, communicate these things and get input to be able to make a turn here. So it'll be kind of like Church 3.1 maybe, okay? <laughs> it's going to be a little... A little change in even, and we've done this before. We've done this before. When we moved into this building, we made some changes. And some people weren't cool with those changes, and they were like, see you later. And I was like, that's fine. 
But we need to change to reach the people in our area here. Doesn't mean we change what we believe. Doesn't mean we change um, our mission as far as reaching people with the love of Jesus, showing them practical acts of mercy that will touch their life and do things for them, encouraging the students here at Kent State University whenever we have that opportunity to encourage them to serve the Lord, meet the needs of people in our community. None of that changes, but maybe it's how we do it. So, it's more than attending a service. It's more than giving in the offering. It's about connecting with a community of believers right here. A community of believers right here. And this whole series is about three things. Caring, growing, reaching. Caring, growing, reaching. Caring for one another, which should then translate to caring for others that aren't even here, outside the church. Growing together. In other words, building relationships. And this is kind of... This is what I will be talking about a little bit more today. I started it last week. And then reaching the world together. Reaching the world will not work, guys. I have figured this out. Reaching the world will not work if we're not connected to each other. It has to flow out of our relationships. So if you have a bunch of people that are upset with each other and can't deal with each other in the church, don't expect them to translate love to people outside the church. They'll know it's just works you're doing. It's not works of love from Jesus. So this is that's what this is all about. And I kind of went into it a little bit more because today is a snow day. We handed out awards for those top three people who uh, came the farthest. You know, one drove 33 minutes, one drove 30, one drove 25 minutes to get here. And so, you know, because we got snow coming down in buckets outside, I felt like we should give out awards for that. And it's just us. So I'm going to be a little bit more relaxed and say some things maybe. And if you're joining us through the Internet, great. You're just going to get the benefit of a more relaxed, um, wide open thing because I'm going to forget about you, okay, for a minute. And I need to talk to this core. This core group of people is, this is the core of our church. You know who you are. You are the core of this church. Minus two people that got snowed in on the west side, okay? So I want to talk about teamwork today. Teamwork. And this is a great time. With football season coming to an end, we're watching some of the best football played, if you're into that. Um. It takes teamwork to have success there. It takes teamwork. Well, it takes teamwork in any organization for people to work together. So let's go to Galatians 6, verse 1. We're going to go to, to verse 1 through 5. And I love how it starts, brothers and sisters. Okay, so we're talking family here. Brothers and sisters, my family. Let me give you some help here. Now, this is not where we're going to stay a long time, but this is our launch, our launching pad here. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Underline this in verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. You see, we love to emphasize verse 1. Ooh, if you catch somebody in a sin, like we don't. It's only the other people sinning, you know, then do this. But I love, we, we forget verse 2, and carry each other's burdens. 
carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Shouldn't have to compare yourself with anybody else on this planet. God does not. You are you, and you can't look at somebody else and say, well, look at that. I'm not a murderer, and they are, so I'm way better, okay? Because Jesus said if you think in your heart to kill somebody, you are a murderer. So just because you didn't do it, all right, you might think to do that. You might be so offended, so hurt, that that might have crossed your mind. Well, then you're just as bad as the person who did it. And verse 5 says, For each one should carry their own load, which sounds differently from carrying each other's burdens, but it's not talking about the same thing there. So I want to really focus in on, first of all, that first verse. Because on its own, on our own, as a member of the body of Christ, we're just, we're very weak on our own. Do you know that? I don't know if we have any super Christians here. I haven't seen the big S on your chest. But when we're together in community, you have the whole church, the scripture is saying, to carry your burdens with you. And we talked about this last week. There was a scripture that says, you know, when one hurts, we all hurt. And when one has a celebration, you know, in their life, then we all feel good about it. We'd love to see others succeed. And so I want to focus, first of all, on accountability today. Just two things I want to talk about. One is accountability. Verse 1, back to verse 1 again, says, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, so you super spiritual people, you, you who are living by the Spirit, you're born again, followers of Christ. You should restore that person. How? Gently. gently. Say gently, very gently. Gently. Yes, like that. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So teamwork, I believe teamwork is a great word, but it's proven by accountability. Proven by accountability. See, most Christians don't like the idea of being accountable. Um, that's why big churches, a lot of times, are great places to go and hide. Nobody knows you. Nobody, they see you. They may even remember your name. They might have heard some things you said in small group. Uh, but they don't know that much about you. Okay. And their life's busy anyhow. And you're in this big church and you got 99 other people that you're in association with. And so, you know, Barna, a great one of the great researchers of our time, says only 5% of people say their church does anything to hold them accountable for integrating biblical beliefs and principles into their lives. At CovenantEyes.com, Luke Gilkerson he writes about the 10 reasons a church has very little accountability. And I'm not going to go through all those, but there is a couple of note that I wanted to bring out. He says that teamwork requires accountability. We're holding each other accountable for growing. Our 
our actions, see, affect other team members' abilities to accomplish their goals. I watched a couple teams play the last week or so, and I saw teams lose that I couldn't figure out how that team lost to this other team. I play fantasy football. I am a general manager of a fantasy team. All right? And everything on paper says this team should win. But I saw failures. They're called penalties. People whose minds are not in the game. Now, you got a talented quarterback who can throw the ball anywhere on that field with precision. And it's first and ten. So you only got to get 10 yards. Anybody, I could throw it 10 yards. But the problem is this big lineman here, I don't know what he's thinking of, but all of a sudden he makes a move like this. Okay? And it's five yards back. Now it's first and 15. Do you know how hard it is to overcome penalties in a playoff game? During a regular season, you can do it a lot of times. But in a playoff game, it's very hard because you're playing a better defense and everybody's more focused and everything else. You see, this team member, because of his what? I don't know, lack of focus, not paying attention to what was going on, not listening to the cadence. He knows when this guy's gonna hike the ball he knows the defense doesn't know but yet he makes that move he let the team down and it costs the team and instead of going forward now we're going backwards you see we are a team here every church is a team and we move forward when we all move forward but when somebody begins to move backwards it puts a drag on the rest of the group did you know that it puts a drag on the rest of the group and now we love you and we're going to encourage you, okay? But we have personal responsibilities that we should be taking care of, accomplish our spiritual goals so that the group can accomplish theirs and God can receive glory in this area, in the city of Kent and the surrounding area. And I'm not talking about people looking over your shoulder. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people being in your business. I'm talking about somebody coming alongside you. That's a good thing. You ever watch Rocky, one of the old Rocky movies? Rocky Balboa, okay? And in this one movie, Meriwether comes along side. His opponent, his old opponent, comes alongside him and helps him to train because Rocky is not a trained fighter. And he comes alongside Rocky and trains him. Make sure that he does the right things. And when he's doing the wrong things, he tells him. And he shows him what to do to correct that. And he becomes a better boxer because of that. That's what I'm talking about. People to come alongside you, not to be in your business, but to be close enough to you to know when something's up. A lot of times we don't go, hey, Jason, I got a big problem. We like privacy. But see, if Jason's close to me and he's walking alongside of me, Jason might go, something's up with Larry. And I don't even know that he knows. And maybe it's the Holy Spirit pointing out. Maybe it's just that we're close friends. But Jason says, Larry, I just got to ask you, what's up? Okay? You see? Not to criticize me. It's to help me. It's to say, hey, can I just give you a suggestion? Can I give you a little help here? 
Maybe I feel so comfortable with Jason because he's alongside me. I say, Jason, I got a problem. Can you talk to me about it, you see? Knowing that Jason's not going to go to the whole church. You know what Larry told me? But he's going to keep it to himself and help me work through those things. See, that's the benefits of accountability. Here's some other things. I believe it takes a village to be sanctified. I believe that sanctification is a community project. It is not all on you to grow. What is sanctification? Sanctification was, think about the temple and the worship in the temple. And they had these things that held wine and bread and implements that they used where they sacrificed animals. And they would just be bowls. They would just be plates. They would just be tables. But they sanctified them. So before they could use them, they had to wash them outside and inside and then bless them. Ask for God to bless them. So sanctification is setting aside for service. You're taking just an ordinary bowl and turning it into something that will serve God. That's your life. You take an ordinary life and it's set aside for God's service. That's sanctification, basically, okay? That's just a basic description. So it, I believe it takes a village. I believe it's a community project to become sanctified. It takes, I need you in my sanctification process. He says in there, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Let's go to Hebrews 10.24. And it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We know how to do, we know how to hate. And we know how to do bad stuff. Do you ever realize, kids do not need to be taught how to lie. Isn't that the funniest thing? Kids learn how to lie somehow. Nobody ever goes, children, we're having lying lessons today. So I want you to pay close attention. This is the truth, but I'm going to say something else. Did you get it? No, nobody ever has to do that. Kids just lie. And people, you know, I just love children because they're so truthful. Forget that. What do you mean they're so truthful? You just mean they don't have a filter. But when it comes to self-preservation, a child will lie every time. So we don't have to be taught how to do wrong, but we have to spur one another towards love. Because when somebody hurts our feelings, we feel hate. We feel resentment. So we have to learn how to love and do good deeds because we tend to want to do selfish deeds. Everything for me. Preserve, preserve, self-preservation, you see. So how? let's consider how we can help each other go the other direction. Another thing that he said in this article, besides he didn't say sanctification was a community project. I did, but that's what I called it. Accountability is also biblical. James 5, 16 here we go. Therefore, confess your sins. Accountability. Did I say sanctification is biblical or accountability is biblical? Okay, thank you. Because my mind went, I think you said the wrong word. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to who? 
Say it real loud. Each other. Look around the room and look at your each others. That's who you're supposed to confess your sins to. Oh, that's a little scary. Confess your sins to each other. You know what I think? I'm not going to tell you what something means in the scripture, but to me, that doesn't mean I get up on Sunday and go, okay, I got a list here. <laughs> I got a list. You guys got to know the really bad things I did this week. But it's to be honest with each other. Don't live a lie. Don't be untruthful with, with each other. So confess your sins to each other. If you hurt one another, if you're not truthful with somebody and the Holy Spirit begins to dig at you, you do need to go to that person and confess to them and say, I'm sorry, I lost it. I'm sorry, I wasn't truthful. I'm sorry, I treated you badly. We will do that from time to time in the body of Christ. Please don't be so disappointed that you walk out the door and go, well, I thought this was a perfect place. Surprise, we're human, okay? Confess your sins to each other and do what for each other? Pray. Say that. Pray. So look around the room again. This is who you're praying for as well as your own family, as well as your own self. You, you have a responsibility. So why should we pray? So that you may be healed. So... Somebody once told me that the Ed Cole, good teacher, good author, he said that we become intimate with, listen, the ones that we pray for and the one we pray to. Prayer is intimacy. So as you pray for other people, you become intimate with them somehow because you, you care for them. You know what I loved? I watched the Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks this past week. And in that movie, what struck me was that Fred Rogers had a book this big, and he had the names of everybody he prayed for every night by name. Now, he's a busy guy. Well, he used to be. He's not with us anymore. <laughs> but he was a busy person in big demand. And yet they showed him in this movie on his knees by the bed, praying with King Friday. No, he didn't. But he was, he was praying by himself, okay? I mean, that's amazing to me. And they showed indirectly in the movie that the people, while he was calling out their name, they showed scenes of them struggling and overlaid their, his voice calling out their name to God. See, you become intimate. And when he would meet these people, he knew who they were because he'd been praying for them. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons right there. And, I mean, I've read articles. I've heard opinions on this. You could take it for what you want. That accountability is tied to our health. Physically and emotionally. So, in other words, it's a help to us. It keeps us healthy when we have people to be accounty, accountable to. And lastly, it's not, accountability is not just for correction. It's not just to kick you in the seat, okay? That's not what this is about. It's really about discipleship and mentoring. 
Discipleship and mentoring, two big words. Let's look at it. Hebrews 3, 13 says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I don't know about you. I need encouragement. I need encouragement. I do. I mess up. I do wrong. I need encouragement to do right. I get down on myself. I get down because of circumstances or because things aren't going. I need encouragement so I don't stay there. Encouragement, okay? That's giving courage to someone else. You can make it. You'll do this. Do that every day, it says. Encourage one another every day. So look at the accountability as an opportunity to be encouraged by people. People you're accountable to, you allow to speak into your life. And let me just say this. That's the value of coming together like this. Zoom is wonderful. Teams, Microsoft Teams, all these other online opportunities to hear the word of God and whatever. But you can't be accountable very good, you know, in a, in a real sense. There's no accountability there, is there? Did you know that I read a statistic about that? And that people, since they've gone, more and more people have gone to online church they don't even go to their own church and watch it when they're not in their church. They go watch another church. Well, I don't know what the value of that is. It's just something different. You know, if you're trying to stay connected with a group of people, <coughs> Zooming or watching online is not going to bring that. But then go and visit another church, that's just, you know, what is that? I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just saying it's not helping me stay connected. But when we're together, we're together. I can see you. I can look in your eyes, okay? Do you, when you're doing online stuff, do you look at the camera? Or do you look at the picture of the person you're talking to, you see? Because when you look at the person, they see this. See my eyes? Where are my eyes right now? Are they looking at you? But when you look at the camera, this is what they see. Eyeballs. See back there? I'm looking at you now. It's different, isn't it? That's what we need. We need eyeballs looking in to our eyes. Looking into our eyes, the window of the soul. And this is how we build relationships that edify us. One other scripture, Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So who you're hanging with is who you're going to become. That's it. That's great wisdom there in Proverbs, probably from Solomon. So let me show you six things here real quick, and it won't take long. Six slides I want them to put up, and these are accountability questions. If you were in a group of people like this church, and you could have a friend that you could trust, okay, and maybe your friend isn't in this church, that's fine, but do you have somebody that would ask you these questions? So I got these questions from Josh Weidman, who's the uh, pastor at Grace Church in Inglewood. And I like these. This is what he used for his men's group. So it might be a little bit different for you. If you're a lady, it might be different for you anyhow, okay? 
First question was, have you been spending time in God's word this week? If so, how? Is there anybody that you're accountable to for that question? That's a good question, isn't it? How many have had a week, honestly, where you've had a really skimpy week in the word of God? I have. I have. Number two, have you been spending time in private prayer this week? Do you have somebody that would feel comfortable in asking you that question? How many have had skimpy prayer weeks where it's just been the minimum? I mean the minimum. I'm talking about, you know, you're lucky if you even remembered to pray at the restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Let alone spend quality time with God. Number three. Is anybody asking you this question? Have you exposed your mind to sexually inappropriate things? Now, for guys, that might be pornography. For women, there are other avenues that take you down that road. You know what I'm talking about. And it ain't the Hallmark Channel. Okay? <laughs> but there are things that bring, I mean, the wrong kind of thoughts. Are you exposing yourself to that? Or are you going... No, I can't afford to have that in my life, okay? Number four, have you been above reproach with your finances? Boy, this is, this is a really tough one here. What does that mean? Well, have you tithed? Are you tithing? Because that is being obedient to the Word of God. If we tithe, okay, we should be doing that regularly. We should put God first, in other words, with our finances, with our time. So if we're not praying, we're definitely not putting God first in our time. If we're not reading the Word, we're not putting Him first in our time. And if we're not tithing, then we're not putting Him first with our money, our finances. And all these things are very clear in the Word of God. I don't need to teach on that today. So have you been above reproach? Are you wasting your money on stuff? Spending it? Whatever. Do you have things in your life that's just pulling? Are you getting into debt, maybe? that you should not be getting into. I don't want to say every debt is bad, but pretty much all of it is. It's not really God's design for a Christian's life is to be getting into debt, especially on losing propositions. Anything you buy except for land is going to depreciate. You know that, right? So you're, you're losing money from the day you pick it up off the shelf and you buy it on credit and you start paying the interest on it. That you got it, But I got it on sale and saved 20%, but you're paying twice that in, in interest every month because you still owe on that. So, anyhow, have you been above reproach with your finances? Number five, have you been taking care of your body? This is what I call the Cheetos quotient, Okay. You should have at least one carrot stick going in for one Cheeto, okay? I don't mind you having a little fun, but you need to have some good stuff in there, too. What's your Cheetos quotient to carrot sticks? I know they look very much alike, so they're interchangeable. All right? Have you been taking care of your body? Are you, are you getting a physical? Are you knowing what's going on with your body? Are you... You know, doing things that's damaging to your body. That could be drugs or smoking or anything like that where it's causing damage to your body. So, And, li and number six is the best question of all. Have you lied? <laughs> have you, that's the, to me, that was the best question in the world. You know, you give all the right answers and then it goes, okay, what have you lied about? <laughs> Isn't that good? 
The question I have for you is anybody asking you these questions? One of the biggest, S.J. Scott, who wrote Build a Better Life, he says one of the biggest lessons I've learned about habit development is that you need accountability to stick to a major goal. It's not enough to make a personal commitment. So as we grow, we get closer to, we, we should be getting closer to our goals. We should be closing the gap from where we are to where we want to be. If we're growing, this is, that's what this means. That's how growth is measured. One aspect of teamwork in the church is accountability. It will help you to grow. It's, no, it's essential for your growth to be accountable, being held accountable. And it doesn't just happen by coming to church. Church only facilitates it. Church attendance doesn't guarantee connection or community. But my question is, how can we come into a building once or twice a week and not develop community with those people? It almost would take an effort at this church to avoid developing connections with people here because of our size and because these are aggressive lovers here. They aggressively will love you, okay? they, They don't think anything of it to just slather you with love and have a great conversation with you and care about you. That's what I call about aggressive love. Lastly, teamwork is created in community. Teamwork is created in community. So accountability is important, but teamwork is only created in community. You can't be a team by yourself, okay, unless you play racquetball. So, here's something you might observe. I remember when bowling teams and stuff like that, church softball leagues and volleyball, you remember that stuff? And it's hard to find that A's. It's like everybody's, you know, off doing, I mean, there's like umpteen soccer games. I know families that will, you know, will tell us, yeah, I had two soccer games tonight. And I'm like, how in the world do you do this? One for each kid, you know, and they've they got dads over here, moms over here, and it's craziness. And it's like we don't have time for people. We don't have time for community. Back in, I mean, back in the day, there were these things, you know, basketball, softball, bowling leagues, clubs, community groups people belong to. And they were, it seemed like it was the thing until the 70s. And then there was this sudden decrease in people joining these. And this, this author of this book, he's from Harvard, uh, Robert Putnam. He's a professor there. He says that the value of belonging to a group of people that we are in community is called social capital. Social capital. So, in other words, you gain social capital by being in these community groups with other people. And he says that the decline in social capital is a trend we should be paying attention to. He suggests that the value of social capital is that it helps people to translate aspirations into realities. So, if you're trying to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be, it's important to be in community with other people. 
Why? Because it makes, he says, but it makes your problems easier to resolve. Well, how is that? I love this. He says, first of all, it gives you improved social environments. In other words, besides your own family and the relationships there, which are very limited, and those people, you know, are just who they are, people you've grown up with, how do you react with people that you didn't grow up with? See, it will help you to learn how to deal with different types of people in a more diverse environment. It also will help you in your business transactions. Why? Because you'll begin to understand who you can trust through those kinds of relationships. Don't laugh, but I've been going to the same person to get my hair cut since 2002. And you say, why do you even bother? I used to have hair when I started there. I lost the hair but not the relationship. And so, yes, I get a great discount there, okay, because they charge by the follicle. So my prices have remained the same, okay? Don thought he was being smart there, but I was ready for that one, okay? You see, there's a social connection, and when people say to me, I, you know, I just moved here. I don't know, you know, where can I go to get my hair cut? I say, go to Nicole Jeffries. They're great. I converted my own wife to go there now. She goes. And you like it, don't you? Doesn't she look gorgeous? <laughs> and then, you know, when I moved here in 02, I didn't know who to get my car fixed with. And my dad was way up in Cleveland at the time. Now he's in Uniontown. He's got a cool garage now. So when I moved here, I, I said, where do you get your car fixed? Somebody said Zaner's. And I said, great. I should be getting money for this. And I went down to Zaner's and I looked this guy in the eye and I said, I've never been here before. And I don't know anything about you. Somebody told me to come here, but I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you treat this car like it's yours? And he's just looking at me like, who is this guy from Florida? <laughs> I said, if you will treat this like this is your car. In other words, don't do stupid things and, you know, put on this and that. It cost me $300 a, a whack. Don't do those kind of crazy things. If it was your car, where would you start? You'd start on the cheapest thing, the most practical thing. He goes, sir, that's what we do. I said, well, we'll find out. I said, but if you will do that and always be honest with me, I will never take my car anywhere else. You know, that was in 02, and that's what they did, and I recommend people there. You see, I build a relationship with somebody and it helps me in my business transactions. It simplifies my life. I don't shop prices. I know I trust them. They're not going to overcharge me. They're not the cheapest, but they won't overcharge me either. Okay? They won't charge me for things that I don't need to be done. So anyhow, that's what this study, this Harvard study was saying, is that community improves your life in just a myriad of ways. And I won't go through all those things because we're humans. We're created by God to be in contact with other humans. I watched a great video on LinkedIn. And this woman was talking about this big dog that grew up with their little child. From the time it was born, it was a baby dog and a baby baby. And they grew up together. And this dog is enormous now. And the child's, you know, only about. And this dog and this child are the best of friends. Okay, now that's great. But there are limits 
to those kind of relationships, okay? It's great. But I need humans in my life. I need humans that I can talk to, that we can share our failures. We can share the fun in our life. Somebody once told me who their wife had left them and they were living alone. And they said, you know, the worst part about being alone is I don't have anybody to talk about my day with. I come home and it's just, I want to go, hey. He says, I'm not even sure if I'm alive because I think being alive is sharing your experiences. I get that. I've been there. We are humans created by God to be in contact with other humans outside of our own family, outside of our own neighborhood. And I believe life is basically better when we're in close contact with a diverse group of people as well as people that are like us. And I think there's advantages to both. So, so what? As Bill Brack used to say, so what? <laughs> we said these things. Why? Because I believe being in community with other people is necessary for us as humans. And being in community with other Christians is also important. All It's, it's, it's huge. And not only does it give us people to be accountable to, it gives people that we learn to trust, depend on, and become friends with. People who see us when we're up and people who see us when we're down and they understand us and they love us and they don't run from us when we're down. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be rolling out a church calendar. And I started working on this couple days ago and I worked on it some more yesterday and talked to Mary a little bit about it. We'll be talking more about it. Warning. And we'll be I'll be shooting it over to the board once we kind of put up, you know, come up with a prototype. Why are we doing this? My goal is to bring balance to our to encourage community because I realized something. For 9 years we have gone hard on outreach. This church has just been, you know, if you know one thing about this, we love each other. But we like to be outside these four walls. And it's like the last two years, outreach has been totally shut down because of COVID. Now, one thing you have to know about God that I've learned is when this doesn't work anymore, quit trying to do it. Find out what God wants you to do now. What? Because he may not want you to do this anymore. The same way. And so I... I mean, it just came, it came like a light to me not long ago. And, and I was like very frustrated, down, because, you know, we just can't be what we used to be. And I realized we didn't have balance here. And it's not that we did anything wrong. It's just that our heart was to reach this community. And we're going to create an environment, a better environment here for community at our church. And I think it's going to be a good thing. What we want to do is employ a purposeful plan for community. And it's going to be facilitated through our calendar. We're going to set up some things and project them out there. We might have to change dates or even our ideas, but we're going to put it out there. And our plan is to encourage relationship building. Because when people come in here, 
They do feel love. They do feel acceptance. But we have never facilitated a way to build community. We've had Bible studies. We've had men's Bible studies. We've had men's women's groups. We've come together then, men and women together doing Bible studies. We've had worship times here. And those were good. And they did help build relationships to some extent. But I think the biggest challenge the church faces from its for us as members of the church is attendance minus participation. Let me say that again. Attendance minus participation. I think the church, not just us, but the church suffers from that. People who show up and go back home and they don't connect. And I think too many people, families come to church on Sundays and then they they're gone and they don't embed themselves into the life-changing community of the church so we're going to do something about it here and i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna throw listen close i'm not throwing things up on the calendar like it's a buffet well i think i'll have green beans and nothing else i want you to look at each one of these things that we put up there because it's not like I'm gonna. Lo- we're not gonna load this thing so loaded that you should pick and choose. You should be at each of these things. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is a challenge because we're putting it up there to create community, and we're trying to do it in different ways. We know not everybody can do everything. Goodness no. But we're going to be planning times of prayer, training, fellowship, and outreach. Some of you complain, oh, what happened to our prayer thing? I don't know where was where was half the church for that. If it was so great, where was the rest of the church? So obviously it wasn't what everybody wanted. It was what maybe a few wanted. I liked it, but it wasn't what everybody wanted. So we have to change that into something that works. Because it's no good if nobody shows up for it. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. Training, non-existent, sporadic, basically. Whenever we need it, we train. We're going to we're going to set up some kind of training. It's not going to be huge, but it's going to be consistent where we get trained up in whatever we need to in this church. Fellowship. We love fellowship, but it doesn't happen enough. So, again, we're going to put these things in. Listen, we're not going to load this calendar so that you don't have a life. You'll see. We're carefully putting these things out there. And of course, outreach. And outreach is almost predetermined for us because we always hook into what the city is doing. So we want you, no, we need you. I need you to look at these not as options, but as something planned to help create community in this church and in your life. And I told you last week, I need you. I need you in my life to grow, to continue to grow and serve God. We need each other. And we want to facilitate time so it's not just show up for church. Oh, it's so nice to see you. I love you. (laughs) And then seven days later, we do this again. We need other times to be with each other, doing other things that will benefit the bulk of the church. We're not big enough to have these affinity groups where... You know, we can have this thing over here that only a few people like. We're trying to do some things that will be more inclusive. So let's all commit to each other. That's what I'm calling this 
Let's commit to each other. Let's be accountable. Let's be in community. And nobody's going to be walking around with an attendance board going, where were you? You let the group down. Listen, it's on you. It's on your shoulders. It's on my shoulders to be a part of these things, if at all possible. And so I want to challenge you. I want you to commit. I want everybody. This is our core group right here, minus a couple of people. I want you to commit this year to growth. This is a big conversation that we had on our board this week. And out of that conversation, God began to just enlighten me on some things. And this is what he was saying, that we need personal growth. We need growth. of I'm, I'm committing to your growth. Will you commit to mine? And then I believe the growth of the church will be an outflow of this. So if we grow our relationships and grow each other, I believe the church grows organically. So... Um, when we publish this calendar and we share this with you, hopefully I'll, I'll have it ready for next week for our meeting. I want, us, I want you to look at it as a way to make this happen. I'm sorry I'm going long today, but I'm very passionate about this. And I don't want to let this go by. I don't want it to be hit or miss here, no consistency, because that's not the way to mature. And as pastor, I just felt a great responsibility to address what were the needs in our church. And I feel that the, that's what this is. So if we're praying with each other, if we're serving with each other, if we're learning from each other, if we're hanging out with each other, I think we're going to find ourselves becoming accountable to each other. And we'll become closer than we've ever been, guys. Closer. More supported than we've ever been. More loved. More connected more fulfilled, more like Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Father God, I just pray that I didn't mess this up today. I'm so passionate about this. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about what the possibilities are. I hope I didn't get in the way of this message. And if I did, Holy Spirit, somehow bring it into our minds in the right way. Help people, help us all to sort this out and to buy into community, to buy into this accountability to each other, God. I just pray, Lord, that we will feel not just the love for each other, but the commitment for each other. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. The original version of this message can be found on our website at thelightingkent.com. For more information, you can also reach out to us at info at thelightingkent.com or message us on Facebook.